When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Capital City. This is the Jeff Cameron Show brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Orchard TV. Great to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. At J Cameron Show on Twitter. Don't forget, if you're watching on Warchant TV, make sure you like and subscribe and all that stuff I'm supposed to say. But it's true, but it's true, but it's true. You want to do the, let's do the thing together. Here we go, guys. Here, I'll type this in. How? Yep, there we go. Mini. Oh, oh, oh. Days. Oh, look at You know, one of the fun things to do when you type anything into Google and they, they let you know what else has been searched for that begins with your phrasing, <laughs> you really can often recognize how dumb people are. Yeah, you know, it's like people will have typed in how many days are in a school year how many days until how many days are in may how many days <laughs> you're like guys uh but anyhow i i just typed in um and now i will give you this the answer can you believe it and i suspected it was tomorrow when you join the jeff cameron show on a libations friday where we're feeling good and ready to roll I will be able to present to you that we are fewer than 50 days away from college football. 49 as of tomorrow, 49 days away from the start of college football. Get the hell out of town. 49 days away from the start of college football. Fellas, ladies, this is reason to indeed engage and imbibe on a libations Friday tomorrow. 49 days until we're watching a college football game that counts. Not ours, not ours, but 49 days away from watching that, from sitting down and going, ah, college football starting tonight. No mind if I do. So if you've got any weight to lose, head on over to Orange Theory Fitness and get it off you. Get that weight off you. Because we know once football starts, it's heavy season. The heavy season, especially when you're nervous, especially when you have expectations, especially when 
you have hope in your heart for a season of great success, you tend to nervous drink. You, you, you imbibe a little more than you normally would because the games are more fun. Game weekends are more fun. Expectations are high. Stakes are high. De La Soul. So there it is. I mean, you get you get nervous. But it's reason to celebrate. That I get excited about. At the beginning of the show in the chat, somebody had listed how many days till Florida State played. Um, and, you know, again, I just count down till we start college football because – I'm a college football fan. Yes, I prefer Florida State over all else. Uh, but I, you know, what, 58 till Florida State plays? Is that right? Something along those lines? Man. Is this, is this you know, later in the hour, we uh, collaborate with our friends from ISF and solve for the future. And um, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm it, it, that is a five-star album. Yeah, you're correct, Bill. Um I, when we solve for the future, a lot of times, um, you know, I'll pose questions to you guys, ask you about what do we do about this or what do we do about that. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering today, anyhow, about um, what it is that, you know, that we're I, – I, I, you know what? I'll save it. I'll save it until later in the hour. At the bottom of the hour, I'll come up with a better question. I want to word it properly, and I'm not set to word it properly, so – uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, I, again, when you are seven weeks away from college football, you know it's 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 nearly upon us. By the way, update quick. I know how many of you care deeply about the John Deere Classic. <laughs> but I have to say this because it's actually relevant. Here you go. You know who's atop the John Deere Classic? That's right, your Florida State Seminole, Jonas Blixt. Back from the dead, shoots a 62 today. All right, Jonas, with a little minus nine for that ass. That will work. Jonas, who I've had on the golf show on Sirius XM a couple times over the years, is one of the great Seminoles of all time and also a putting Jesse because he doesn't do anything else really well. Doesn't hit it real well, isn't long off the tee, isn't straight, doesn't do a lot very well. But get him on the green, and that's it. It's going in. Don't you wish you had that? A little 15-footer, I'll make this. You don't say. Yeah, he held a uh, 40-something-a-rod uh, foot-putt today for his second eagle. Uh, he, he makes that putts. Was, yeah. That's what he does. The college football transfer rule is up uh, for debate, and, and there's discussion about limiting the window. I don't know if you guys saw that story last week. Earlier in the show, last hour, I referenced just how busy an offseason it's been with quarterback transfers. And welcome into the modern world of, of college football and watching college football. You know, when, when baseball starts every year, when we go to spring training, a lot of times, because I'm a big baseball guy, you guys know that, uh, I always kind of try to pick a week where I go visit friends throughout the state and family and try to get to three or four spring training games. But before we go to do that trip, I always you know pull up the rosters and pull up the offseason movement to find out who left you know one place and went to another. Did they re-sign this guy or that guy? You never used to have to do that in college football. You, you still have to do it in the NFL, you know, trades and all that. But you never had to do it back in the day with college football. 
you did have to look at who left, who graduated, who got drafted. But that was kind of nuts, right? That was just the ACC that I laid bare there. So when you do the so-called system, and when you're 49 days away as of tomorrow from the start of college football, you should start your system. My system back in the day I described years ago when I was first on the air, back when bookstores were an actual thing and were uh, prevalent, and I wish they were, because I could combine two of my favorite things, reading and coffee. And uh, the point would be I used to go get all the preseason magazines, and I'd get a huge cup of coffee, and I'd go sit in the corner, quiet part of the bookstore, and I would read through the conferences, and I would look to see the predictions, and I would also look at who replaced who. Who's the new starting quarterback at North Carolina? Who's the new, you know, I would get, just to refresh your memory. You knew about your team. You knew about some of the other teams in the league, but you needed to catch up with everybody else. It is nearly an impossibility, but certainly a necessity to do now. The ACC alone, when I went through the list and gave you Georgia Tech with Haynes King, Louisville with Jack Plummer, NC State with Brendan Armstrong coming over from Virginia, Pitt with Phil Jerkovich, kid that was at Boston College, got a lot of talent, NFL likes him a lot. He was behind him a line, offensive line, really struggled there. Uh, Tony Musket, the kid from Monmouth, coming into Virginia. And then I gave you all the other ACC quarterback transfers. The Castellanos kid, the Tyson kid, uh, who went uh, to Clemson via Arizona State. The Brady Allen kid. The uh, Bra- I'm forgetting all the guys, but th- those guys, right? If you extrapolate that out and just look around the rest of college football, again, you're looking at the whole – big picture of college football and where everybody's at and what your expectations are for them. In the Big 12, all names you know, mostly names you know. How about that? The Slovis kid goes from Pitt to BYU. Emory Jones on his third school in three seasons. He's the favorite now to start in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, that's something you're keeping up with, too. Cincinnati's in the Big 12. <laughs> like the juggling of college football. Scott Satterfield is the coach. Jones began his career, that's right, you remember, at Florida. Following the firing of Dan Mullen, he transferred to Arizona State. Arizona State was a mess in 2022, hit the portal again, landed with Cincinnati. Donovan Smith, Houston from Texas Tech. Oklahoma State, the Alan Bowman kid coming over from Michigan. Chance Nolan, TCU, coming over from Oregon State. You have Gunnar Smith, UCF via USF. Xavier Williams, UCF via Charlotte. You can go on. The uh, Baylor via Mississippi State, Sawyer Robertson. In the Big Ten, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa. That's right, Cade McNamara went from Michigan to Iowa. They finally have a a viable quarterback in Iowa. They may average more than 10 points a game this year, guys. Goodness gracious. Jeff Sims, who we watched beat us here in Tallahassee. A disastrous start. Mike Norvell, remember? Lightning delay. Jeff Sims never really really went on to do all that much. Now, I would say in terms of uh, yards and all of those things, he, he did rack them up, but that was a disaster. Uh, didn't have much help. He goes to Nebraska. Northwestern has been Bryant from Cincinnati. Purdue has Hudson Card from Texas. Remember Hudson Card? Wisconsin, Tanner Mordecai, that's from SMU. Same thing. The 
Also worth mentioning, Jack Tuttle, Michigan via Indiana. You, it's, it is crazy to think about. Sam Hartman's at Notre Dame. You guys know that, right? Wake Forest to Notre Dame. That's good for the independents. If you wanted to do it with Drew Pine, Arizona State from Notre Dame, Sam Jackson from TCU, Ben Finley, NC State, Colorado, Shador Sanders from Jackson State. That's Dion's kid. We'll see how he does. A lot of pressure on him and on his dad. See, that gets turned around at all. By the way, if you're wondering where Uyungle ended up, left Clemson, went to Oregon State. This is... It's fun and it's exhausting and it's weird. It's 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 not my favorite um, part of all this. Phil Steele is still publishing. Phil Steele, we will get on the program because Phil has been coming on the JCS off and on for, I don't know, 20 plus years. Phil does a good job and Phil is very, very high on Florida State uh, as one would be this year. Has Florida State as a uh, top five team to, to go to the college football playoff talked to, has talked already about his expectations for this group. Um, a lot of questions have because of guys like him and others that cover college football nationally, the, 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 the shift of expectation. And I guess with that pressure uh, or the pressure that some think it brings to Florida State and the effect it could or could not. I don't really, again, I want to refute that. I don't think this team is feeling that at all. I don't think they've really concerned themselves with others' expectations. When you talk to players, and again, very fortunate, we are, those of us in the media that cover Florida State, are very fortunate that we have total access. You get to see these players every day. Hell, in the offseason, they make players available to you at different times. You can talk to coaches at any time. If you want to write a story or you have a talking point and you want confirmation, if you have, if there's just something you want to learn about a, a methodology, a way that they're going about it, say the transfer portal stuff, I've asked directly to Mike Norvell uh, their process, those kinds of things. You can do it. They're open to all of it. And why do I bring that up? Well, because they've already been asked. Late Last year, when the team was in the middle of rattling off six straight wins and changing the outlook of a season that at one point was in great peril with three straight losses, when they turned that all around, the way the season ended, you end the regular season with the win against Florida, and you're set to play Oklahoma in the bowl game in Orlando, and just think we'll be right back in Orlando again real soon, guys. Uh, Those were the questions that were being asked of those players. You know, it's great to have a winning season. Do you feel any added pressure to get this 10th win? And then post that win, there's been talk of, you know, in the spring, your thoughts on what everybody is saying about you with the way too early preseason top 25. A lot of guys have you ranked in the top 10. Some have you ranked in the top five. Do you feel any added pressure to that? What are your thoughts on that, et cetera? Uh, to a man, they said no, because no good, nobody could possibly put more pressure on themselves than the pressure we put on ourselves. You know, nobody, nobody from the outside can do that. We want to win, and our goal is to win. And I'm paraphrasing most of these guys now. Uh, not just the ACC, which they haven't done in close to a decade. Sounds hurtful to say aloud. Uh, but, and, that, and that's a tall task, because Clemson's been really good. 
and and wildly successful and consistent. And you got to play them on the road. Now, grant you, even if you lose that game, the reality is with no divisions, you're probably going to be in line to play in that ACC championship game, even if you were to lose that game on the road. I'm not saying you will, just just that you would probably be in position to play uh, a rematch game for the conference title. But that that hasn't been what they've talked about. They know that that's something that happens along the way. I recall in interviews years ago, you know, you guys know every Sunday I interviewed Jimbo Fisher after he had a chance to watch the film and we, he would analyze what he thought went well, what he thought went poorly, what their expectations were this week in practice, the thoughts on the next opponent, all those things. And he would always talk about chasing perfection, knowing that it wasn't possible, but along the way you would run into excellence. And I feel like that's a similar mentality here that, look, uh, we're chasing a national championship. You know, we want a, an undefeated season. You want to you want to be perfect. It's unlikely that you're going to be perfect. But if you chase it, excellence will happen. You'll run into that along the way. And excellence would be, indeed, winning the conference, making the college football playoff. And I think that's what their expectation of this season is, of themselves, of each other. They're all accountable to one another. Certainly, when you ask Mike about it, you can go back a couple years. He's already talked about this. It, he didn't come to Florida State to to win eight games, to win nine games. He, he didn't come to No coach comes here in the right mind expecting just to have some good seasons. Good seasons will eventually get you fired. I remember years and years and years ago, and if you're a younger part of the demo, you won't remember this, but those of you that are a little bit older listening certainly do. You think about Cooper when he was at – Ohio State, and there would be 10-win seasons, but you can only lose to your rival so many years in a row before they go, yeah, that's great, that's great, have a good one. We expect to be good, so you accomplishing us being good on an annual basis doesn't mean anything. It's who we are. At some point, you have to jump from good to great. So nobody coming to a place like Florida State with its many successes and championship well obviously you have your championship seasons but you have your your 10 plus win seasons and the the 40 year run of success and on all of the 14 straight years of top four finishes and all the things that Florida State fans hold on high as a point of pride you can you can be uh pragmatic you can be very reasonable when you're falling desperately short of that standard you don't anticipate that the person coming in to fix the problem that has now been a prolonged problem will achieve that overnight. You know that ultimately that's where you're planning on going, but you also know that when you have a coach leave in the situation that he did uh, at the end of Jimbo's time, they were five and six when Jimbo left here. The last two games coached by Odell, but they were five and six. So he left here uh, in his final season with a losing record. And behind the scenes was in shambles. A disconnect between the athletic department, the coaching staff, the administration. There had been a a, a halt to recruiting. They hoped that Willie would get that turned around. Obviously, Willie came in, did not have success. More problems arose. The success on the field didn't come. The problems off the field were further exacerbated. They didn't get fixed at all. In fact, there were more fires to put out. So now all of a sudden, you got another coach. You're third in four years. <laughs> You're third in four years. So nobody thought, all right, well, 
This will get turned around. We'll get back to the standard of 10 win seasons and championship runs and conference titles and All-Americans and Heisman Trophy candidates and first and second round draft picks. Nobody thought that will happen overnight, but it was an awfully tough pill to swallow when you had the COVID season followed by the 5-7 and seven season and the thought that, of, oh, my God, we are miles away. But how quickly it turns around because of the cachet of Florida State, the success of Mike and this staff, and what they just did last year. The point would be that once you get back on solid ground, once you get back to winning 10 games, once you get back to recruiting at a high level, we think it's going to be a top 10 class, right? That's a high level. I mean, there are a lot of teams in college football, they would – Desperately love to be top 10. And think about where we hold this staff, this university, this program. If they finish ninth in recruiting, there will be a fairly sizable segment of our fan base that will be pissed. Ninth? Got to buck up. Got a little, we got to get, we be better than that, guys. We're not ninth. This is Florida State. You got to have top five class after top five class after top five class. You can find that unreasonable if you want to, but there's a fairly large segment of this uh, fan base that absolutely expects that. Absolutely expects that. So now that they have found solid ground and reached the 10-win plateau, you can't go backwards. And Mike knows that. He didn't come here to be a 9-10 and 10 win. He came here to play for national titles. Now you got you to gotta walk before you can run, and now they're running. And how fast can they run and how quickly can they win that race? This year, like last year, uh, there, there is, is a measuring stick. Every year is. Are you sustaining, getting better, or falling back? The 10 wins was a massive leap forward. Do you sustain this year or do you get better? How much closer at the end of this year are you to playing for a national title putting together an annual expectation of being a college football playoff team. It's Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply You see the thing that happened last night in the Reds Nationals game, Matthew, with uh, Ellie De La Cruz and the Nats. Uh, Dave Martinez asked the umpires to check the bat to make sure it was legal. Yeah, check the bat. It's been a while since I've seen somebody check a bat. 
Well, he had a piece of plastic on the knob of the bat, and Dave Martinez didn't like it. Now, if you guys haven't been paying attention, obviously the Reds have been on a roll, and De La Cruz is the biggest reason for that. He's a he's a, he's a, he's a fun player, uh, kind of a freak. Anyhow, they made him take off the piece of plastic off the end of the bat because they weren't sure uh, whether it was legal or not. They hadn't heard back from the league on a determination, and the league communicated back and said, look, the plastic thing on the end of the bat is no big deal. We don't care. It can stay on there. It doesn't matter. But, <laughs> but it really didn't matter because in the fifth inning, he hit a 450-plus-foot home run and proceeded to look back at Dave Martinez and uh, gestured, if you'd like to check the bat again, by all means. From there, he went on to add two doubles, scored another run, and is really good for baseball. He's just fun, and it makes me envious because we have a guy like that, O'Neill Cruz, who broke his ankle in the first week of the season because his dumbass doesn't know how to slide into home. But they're the same guy. <laughs> like, obscenely tall and lanky and can really create a ton of bat speed and torque and run and do things, and it's silly. That coupled with the end of that Marlins-Cardinals game, last week, uh, yesterday I should say, I did the thing where uh, I gave you an update on your midseason American League report, and then I've also talked about the Braves last hour and how much I love watching Ronald Acuna Jr. play and how good that team is. And there are guys like him and others that are doing things that belong in the pantheon of like all-time great seasons. Shohei Itani obviously is number one on that list, doing something that's never been done before. But around all those around him and all those numbers are these other guys doing really cool things like that. I saw this from Poznanski. Uh, Joe's Joe's uh, stuff is always really interesting and really good and well-researched. So I'm just going to throw this back out there and circle back uh, on this for you Braves fans. And I know most of the listeners to this show, if we had the uh, greatest percentage labeled on there, are Braves fans. And I, I like your team. I like watching your team play. They're a fun team to watch play. And they're also freaking really good. They're 58 and 28. They're going to the playoffs, and they are – uh, a serious contender to win another World Series here. And so it's been a nice run. Uh, and Ronald Acuna Jr. is the guy I picked before the season started and got pretty good odds for it to win the MVP. So right now, all I'm doing is crossing my fingers, not on behalf of Braves fans, but on behalf of my bank account, that Ronald Acuna Jr. stays healthy. Because this has been a silly, silly run. And the stats I gave you about a 21 home or 41 stolen base pre-All-Star run is uh, pretty remarkable. We, we don't see people do that. So these are the most stolen bases with blank amount of homers, okay, in a season. You ready for this? You'll like this number. You'll like this, Matthew. You love these kinds of – all right, so we, we'll start with zero and we'll go from there, right? Okay, so these are the players that had the most stolen bases in a given season, a full season, okay, with a certain amount of home runs, all right? And then I'll I'll add to it each time. This is this is important because Ronald Cunha Jr. could do something that nobody's ever done, all right? So you start with zero home runs. All right, well, in 1982, Ricky Henderson stole 130 bases. 
10-plus home runs. Back again to 82, Ricky Anderson had 10-plus home runs, stole 130 bases. 20-plus home runs. 1986, now the years change because not a lot of people hit for power and continue to steal that many bases, right? So 20-plus home runs in a season with more than 80 stolen bases. Ricky Henderson, the only one to do that. Get back to my point about Ricky Henderson being somehow underrated. 20-plus home runs in a season in 1986. 87 stolen bases. 30-plus home runs. Most combination of home runs to stolen bases in a given season that year. Who do you think it is? Got a guess? It's not Ricky Anderson. (laughs) It's Barry Bonds. And people forget Barry Bonds because he's skinny Barry Bonds in Pittsburgh. It's pre-steroid Barry Bonds in Pittsburgh, who was also still an MVP. Did you say 86? No, 1990. 90, okay. 1990 Barry Bonds. He hit more than 30 home runs, and he stole 52 bases. All right? 40-plus home runs. Most stolen bases in a 40-plus home run season? Alex Rodriguez, 1998. 40 home runs, 46 stolen bases. 50-plus homers in a season. What do you think? the number is in terms of stolen bases with a 50-plus home run season? I don't think anybody's ever gone 50-50, so no, I would no, say no, 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 yeah. 35. Good guess. 50-plus home runs, Willie Mays stole 24 bases. 60-plus home runs, the most amount of stolen bases in a year in which somebody hit over 60 home runs, that would be the steroid era, much like Alex Rodriguez. That would be Sammy Sosa. 1998, he stole 18 bases and hit more than 60 home runs. And then finally, and you could guess it, there's one guy, 70 home runs. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Barry Bonds in 2001 hit more than 70 home runs and stole 13 bases. Now, you could bring this up and you'd say, why would you do it? Well, how high on that chart is Ronald Acuna Jr. going to climb? He is currently sitting with 21 home runs and 41 stolen bases before the All-Star break. He could hit 40-plus home runs and have more than 75 stolen bases. This is a season for the ages. He's going to surpass people on this list. And the Braves, who I'm talking about now, and it's annoying if you're not a Braves fan, I got it. Of their 11 players with 100-plus plate appearances, 10 have a triple-digit OPS-plus ranking. The only one below is Michael Harris II, who fell to 98 OPS-plus on Wednesday by going 1-for-5 in that 8-to-1 win over Cleveland. While we're on the subject of crazy stats and who's going to the playoffs and who isn't, how are the Miami Marlins 51-37? and It's impossible. The Marlins are 12th in the National League in runs scored. Their ace, Alcantara, Sandy Alcantara, as I like to say, (laughs) the defending National League Cy Young Award winner is 3-7 this year with a 4-9-3. They have been outscored on the season, the Marlins have. They have the third best record in the league. How? Even Arias. Nice little story, but he's begun to fade, and he's really not that big a factor anymore. 
The Marlins are 21-5 and five in one-run games. If you want to fade somebody for a second-half record, fade the Miami Marlins. They keep on finding ways to win, including rather improbably last night, and it's fun, and I don't have anything against them, and it's whatever, and I'm glad they beat the Cardinals on an air. All of that's cool. But you can't be 21-5 and five in one-run games and have your best pitcher suck and have a negative plus-minus run differential to the likes of which they do and be 51-37. and 37. That likelihood of them making the playoffs is at over 70% as we sit here currently, and I'll do this just for you before we break and get to probables. Philadelphia Phillies are 46-39. and 39. They have turned it on on the road. Uh... Interesting. Is Craig Kimbrell going to be your MVP? <laughs> Somebody has to be. Dude, Craig Kimbrell in April and May had a 5.85 ERA, gave up five home runs in 20 innings. In June and July, he's 2 0 with an 0.60, zero homers in 14 innings. The difference between the record in those first two months, April, May, 25 and 30 for the Phillies and 21 and 9. So, you know, a lot of people might have picked Trey Turner before the year to be an MVP. It's going to be Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> Just for comparison, so I looked up, so as you said, Acuna is at 21-41 mm-hmm. for the home run steal mm-hmm. split. To compare him to a current star, Trout, in his breakout year in 2012, he went 30 and 49 for the year. 30 and 49 for the year. And Acuna is going to obliterate past both of those. Obliterate it. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I. That's why I wanted to bring those numbers up. I thought, you know, look, we're having fun here. Acuna is doing things that gets overshadowed because of how good Shohei Itani is, but. In any other year, if Shohei Itani didn't exist, all we would be doing is talking about Acuna. Who do you think is the MVP between those two? Well, Shohei, but I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, well, because Itani's a top 10 pitcher and he's going to hit 50-plus homers. <laughs> I mean, w- what Otani's done is has never been done. Acuna, ironically, is doing something that maybe has never been done or is on pace to do something that's never been done and it's going to be largely overshadowed because of how good Shohei is. It, it, it's it's nuts. But, I mean, it's a lot of fun because one's in the American League, one's in the National League, and it's just – I, you just wish that you could get Shohei somewhere where he could be seen on a nightly basis. Acuna at least can be seen. People on the East Coast all see him, and the Braves are fun to watch. Yeah, that's the big hope for Otani in this upcoming offseason is that he goes somewhere where – even if it's the Dodgers – yeah, uh, I just uh, just somewhere he can be more widely seen by a broader audience. You know where he needs to go. Everybody knows he needs to go to the Yankees, but I or the Mets, and, and, and I don't want that. Of course, I don't need any of that. Speaking of which, I don't know that anybody wants to be associated with the Yankees right about now. You, the stuff going on there—it's happened again. You got to be kidding me. So I, I said I was going to break, but I'm going to break after this, just so people know. They had another guy get suspended for domestic violence. What are we doing in the clubhouse in Yankee Stadium, folks? Jimmy Cordero has been suspended for the rest of the season and postseason for violating the domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. Now, that's one policy that covers all of it, so I don't know what aspect of that is. But anyhow, 
you have players and coaches coming out saying, well, you know, we're, we're, we've been fully supportive of the investigation and, you know, look, we, we, we want him to get help. And, uh, you know, look, the, it's bigger than baseball. So he's not the first Yankee to violate the league's domestic policy, uh, domestic abuse policy. Domingo Harmon, who just pitched a perfect game, was suspended 81 games and missed the entire 2020 campaign after sitting part of the 2019 campaign out for slapping his girlfriend at an event in 2019 and then becoming more physically violent when they got home to the point where she had to hide in the closet till the cops got there. Let's not uh, hey, I just want to add this to the mix here. Let's not forget that Araldis Chapman was suspended 30 games while with the Yankees in 2016 for domestic abuse as well. Get it together, Yankees. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Yo, microphone check, one, two, what is this? The five foot assassin with the roughneck business. Ah, good old, good old Tribe Called Quest. That's a beautiful thing. So is ISF, and I just skipped right over our solving for the future segment like a dumbass. So I'm going to carry it over to tomorrow and do like 30 minutes of solving for the future. I can't be chintzy on ISF. Those are my folks. And I got so carried away with baseball and how good it's been and how it is that it's, you know, growing again in popularity and it's a beautiful thing and guys are doing historical things. But like, am I going to ignore compensation studies? Am I going to ignore process innovation? Am I going to ignore... All the things they've done to help out the Department of Economic Opportunity, the Children and Families, Department of Health, Department of State. No, I'm not going to do that. So ISF, I love you, and I'll get you right tomorrow. In the interim, please forgive me. Paramount Training Academy, camps are going on right now. You got a kid playing softball or baseball, and you don't know what to do with them this summer, but you want them to get better. You want them to be fueled to play in their leagues, respectively, coming up this fall. Well, here you go. Take them on down to Power Mill and get into their training program, which will equip them all ages, all ages. They got all skill levels to boot, and they'll give you the specific skills needed to excel on and off the field. That's right. Book now, PowerMillSports.com. And away we go. Cue it up, good sir. It's time for, how you say, with the pitching, uh, probables? Detroit is pasting Oakland eight to nothing. I know you're shocked. Michael Lorenzen started that game for Detroit. Hogan Harris started for the A's. Cubs lead Milwaukee one to nothing. That's Marcus Stroman, Freddie Peralta. They've played a lot lately. Cincinnati and Washington, they're in a delay in the top of the second. Brandon Williamson and McKenzie Gore. We got the Jays and the White Sox, Jose Barrios, Lance Lynn. Blue Jays, White Sox, Yusikaguchi, and TBD. Phillies, Rays, Christopher Sanchez, Sean Armstrong. Cardinals, Marlins, Jack Flaherty, only Flaherty. Yuri Perez goes for the Marlins. We got the Orioles and the Yankees, Kyle Bradish, Luis Severino, Royals, Cardinals, that'd be Luis. Jordan Lyles still sucks. 1-11 with a 6-6-8, but by all means, roll him out there. Jordan Lyles was once a relief pitcher for the Pirates where he sucked. He has somehow sustained that level of suck and gotten paid more elsewhere to suck even greater. 
Tanner Bibby goes for the Guardians. We got the Rangers and Red Sox. Nathan Evaldi, Cutter Crawford, cool name there. Mar- uh, Mariners, Astros. George Kirby, with the most ordinary name ever. Well, that reminds me of George Kirby. Who's that guy? You remember him? He had the Honda. It was like a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Yeah, George, that's right. Yeah. Kept the lawn looking good. Astros TBD, Mets, D-backs, Carlos Carrasco, Ryan Nelson, and finally tonight, the Pirates and Dodgers into four-game set, Johan Aviedo, uh, Aviedo and uh, Julio Urias, and that is a look at those that shall reside on the bump. Yeah, so have you watched nightly? Have you watched baseball nightly? Because uh, I will tell you, again, I, I'm riveted. I'm watching every night. Well, your Phillies are good, so you you know you're back to being good again, anyhow. Well, yeah, they're getting better. <laughs> they they're they're better. They're a lot better. They went on a nice run. I know we're both upset at this free fall that the Cardinals are in as well. No, oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you just hate it. You hate to see it. In fact, uh, why don't we go back and look and see exactly where they stand? Shall we do that together, everybody? Yeah, the Cardinals have lost three straight. They're a robust 35-51. and 51. Minus 39 in run differential. Dead-ass last in the NL Central. Mm, that's a toughie. That's a toughie. Meanwhile, out of nowhere, the Arizona Diamondbacks lead the NL West still over the Dodgers and Giants. You know, that's that's another of the young prospects that gets overlooked is uh, Corbin Carroll yeah. in Arizona, and he is a beast as well. Well, they're plus 33. They're 50 and 37. They're not going to hold off the Dodgers for the whole year, I don't think. But, damn, man, that's a cool story. There have been lots of cool stories this year. The Cincinnati story is a good story. I'm happy for all the Reds fans in my life. There's a bunch of them. I'd like them to slow their roll. But uh, it's been a little fun run here. Texas at 51-36 and 36 has been good. And then, of course, the uh, race in the American League East, which will be riveting the rest of the way. Because Baltimore's not really going anywhere. They're a good baseball team. They're 50-35 and 35 right now. Just, uh, what are they, five games back, I think it is, of the Rays. And the Rays are in the midst of a four-game losing streak, and they're still 57-32. and 32. Well, it you know helps to get off to the start that they did, but yeah, there there are a lot of good stories in the game right now, which is which is helpful. T. Lizzie makes his way back in town tomorrow, and I'm sure we're all going to be celebrating the fact that there are just 49 days away from the start of college football when he gets back. It is crazy to think about, you know, we 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 thought this would be the interminable off season, and it just hasn't been. There's just been enough news to kind of carry the day. I think between recruiting. And then again, the expectation and the ability to kind of expound on those expectations and try to zero in on exactly where we're all at and the rise of baseball being good this year and kind of a renewed sense of even if that's on the periphery for you, there are a lot of people that are kind of at least tuning back in four or five innings at a time. The game is paced in such a way that you're not just sitting around waiting for the. I went back and I was watching a highlight from uh, two nights ago. There was a highlight from a game four years ago and it was it had something to do with a, an immaculate inning and and i they were showing that how long it took for an immaculate inning that shouldn't take any time it should, you know it's it's freaking nine pitches and it took longer for the immaculate inning to finish than a standard inning that we watch now with, you know with five foul balls and you know 
a single and a double play and a few, you know, I mean, it's, it's 34 minutes a game. 34 minutes a game have been shaved off up to this point. That is probably better than they thought they were going to do coming into the season. I, I would I would guess. I, they, they thought maybe 20 minutes, uh, but you get it. And I would guess that, by the way, next year might even be quicker. You and I are both diehards, and over the years we've talked about how we're – I mean, we're always going to stick with baseball. Yeah. But we understand why people would drift away from the game because like it was so slow. Well, and kids. But know. they are doing – everything right right now they are and i think they're about to do some more things right i think they're getting really really close to the thing that we talked about yesterday on the show think about what we talked about uh for those that missed it yesterday there's a a video did you figure out what league that was in uh there's a video it's a triple a well it was triple a so you can find it now online the things that we've talked about as uh you know as a show there there are there are advancements now with technology to a point where a batter can stand in the box and all the same rules apply now, right? There's a pitch clock. You can't keep stepping out of the box and adjusting your gloves and staring down the foul line or any of that other stuff. Like, like let's go. We're engaged now. We're, we're engaged. Time to go. So that that that's all in place. That all originated in the minor leagues. And they were able to, to kind of incorporate that for a couple of years, and now it's made its way into the major leagues. So that's why I bring this part up. Normally, when they float these new technological advances out there, they're doing it to see how soon they can get it into the major leagues. How well does it work in the minor leagues? They try all their experiments down there in the minor leagues, which you can and can't do the the shift and everything else, right? So they have it now set up in the system where the strike zone, not unlike the baseline in tennis or the service line in tennis, they know exactly where that pitch is. And once they were able to show the depth on that is where it really mattered because I think you could see just the box. It always it could be a little bit of a misrepresentation of what's a strike and what's not. But now they have that. Height, depth, all of it. And I just played that video for the people watching on YouTube. But for the people listening, that entire process takes 10 seconds. It's crazy. Ball's outside, calls it a strike. Batter doesn't like the call. Taps his helmet twice. Umpire recognizes that's the the form of um, of debate, if you will. That's him saying no. I protest. Don't like it. Does the ta- turns around, looks at the guy who's monitoring the computer, gets told that it's a ball, turns back, corrects it one and zero instead of zero and one, and it's over in ten seconds. It's amazing. Good work out of you today. Our thanks to Michael Langton and all of you as well for listening. Appreciate you. We'll be back tomorrow on a Libations Friday, everybody. Be well. Take care.